I want to carry on this week talking about weakness. Um, two weeks back, I have shared on, on weakness, and I want, to, I want to carry on and essentially finish what I was going to say. I realized on the way in that I had way too much last time, so I've chopped it in half. Um, I, let me give you a really brief summary recap if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're looking at a passage in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 that says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the face the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so we're looking at actually what it is for us to acknowledge and embrace our humanity, which includes weakness. You know, we are, we are human, we have frailty, we have limitation. And that is absolutely part of being human. And, and you know, what this passage is telling us is, is those things are not a reason for distance and disconnect from Jesus. Actually, in that weakness, the invitation is to draw near, like come to this great high priest um, and reconnect. And we looked at, actually, if that's, if that's the invitation, the reality is often we don't do that. So often um, we do one of three things. So we kind of did a what not to do with weakness, which is firstly deny it. Say, you know, I'm fine. There's nothing, you know, no problem, no weakness. Um, The second thing is to tolerate it, like recognize it, but just kind of build camp around it and and settle for this is who I am. This is how things are. It can never change. And being kind of defined by it. And the third thing we can do is that we can despise it. And we can see that part of us or part of our history, a part of our journey and or situation, and we kind of despise weakness, not knowing that actually, you know, God says very clearly in Psalms, he will never despise our struggling. Um, He never will. And so the charge here in Hebrews is let's hold firm to the faith we profess. And simply put, the gospel is this. Listen, we, not one of us was qualified because of our strength. It was all because of what Jesus did, and it was enough. So if we weren't qualified by our strength, we need to stop thinking we are disqualified because of our weakness. We need to learn to acknowledge it, embrace it, and move on. So that was the last week. What's next? I want to look at, actually, where do we go from there? Because it's really clear that this this acknowledging weakness and drawing near is unto something. So in verse 16, it says, so that, draw near with confidence, so that that we would receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So I want to ensure that, and what we don't think is that, you know, I'm saying we acknowledge our weakness and, and we come close to God and that's it. Nothing changes. Because that, that's not it. Um, everything changes when we draw near to the Lord. So I want to look at actually when we do draw near, acknowledging our weakness, what are we going to find? So I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive into that. God, I want to thank you for your goodness, your kindness. Thank you that your invitation to each one of us is always draw near to find grace, to find mercy. You want to help us in our time of need. No matter what that need looks like, your invitation is come close and that you want to help. Um, so Jesus, help us to um, yeah, help us to take you up on that invitation. And we choose this morning to draw close and say, God, would you teach us? Would you change us? Would you encourage us, inspire us, and bring hope to every situation I ask in Jesus' name? Amen. All righty. If you're looking at weakness in a Bible, particularly if you read Paul's letters to the Corinthians, um, Paul has this unique perspective on 
weakness and strength. So I'm going to put a table up here that just kind of summarizes a few verses. I'll read those verses to you. Um, actually, you can see there's, this, there's actually a connection between weakness and power and strength, right? So 1 Corinthians 1.25 says that the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And in verse 27 of that chapter, it said God chooses the weak things, doesn't despise the weak things. He chooses them, chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3 and 4, Paul is saying, I came to you in weakness and in fear and trembling. My message and my preaching went with, not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So he's acknowledging, listen, I came weak and trembling, and yet there was power. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and we're going to go unpack this passage a bit later. It says, um, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. 2 Corinthians 13 forces this, for to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Yeah, that's, that's the beautiful thing, that actually Jesus, our great high priest, he embraced and put on human weakness, was crucified in weakness, and yet raises to demonstrate God's power. 2 Corinthians 13 forces, likewise, we are weak in him. Yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. So I hope you can see, listen, there is, there's a real connection here. There's something we need to pay attention to. Um, and I don't in any way profess to have got it all figured out, but I'm just mindful that there is a connection. And so if last week my encouragement was let's acknowledge weakness, this week my encouragement is but let's also expect power because I think we're stopping halfway if we don't do that. So let's look at that um, passage in 2 Corinthians 12 in a little bit more detail. And to set it in context, um, the first few verses of 2 Corinthians 12 it's a, are a bit, I mean, they're kind of a bit confusing. They're a bit peculiar, in all honesty. So Paul is talking about his experience and another man he knows experience sort of spiritual encounters um, and this dramatic revelation and things that have happened. And, and then he says, um, so he's talking about that. You know, Paul, who was, you know, had arguably the most dramatic conversion in the Bible, you know, here's a flash, you know, blinding light, here's a voice, knocked off his donkey, literally here's Jesus, um, and then has, you know, such profound revelation that forms the basis of all his letters. So he says this, 2 Corinthians 12, this is from verse 7, therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Let me pause for a moment. Listen, it, uh, let's, we need to acknowledge there's some bits of scripture which are kind of tricky, right? And it's easy to just kind of gloss over them and start the bits we like. But um, a couple of things I do want to highlight at this point. There's nothing in that passage that is saying God sent his thorn in the flesh, right? It's really clear that um, it was a messenger of Satan. So God didn't send it, but three times Paul asked that God would take it away, and yet God doesn't. And then he goes on to say what we'll look at in a few verses. So, you know, God could have taken that way and yet he didn't okay so you know people people in the church have used that verse as that is my expectation if I look at a situation for example healing you know someone is sick um, their only expectation is his grace is sufficient and now listen I am thankful and I am I'm so thankful that his grace is sufficient and it does sustain me but that, isn't, that cannot be all we ever pray and expect. And I think, honestly, this verse has been used as a bit of a get-out in the church for actually no demonstration of power and breakthrough. 
We only pray, you know, God help them to endure this illness well. And, that, and listen, so please, I don't hear what I'm not, I'm not saying. There aren't times when it doesn't look like the dramatic healing and breakthrough. And, and this is a very clear example of, you know, God who is absolutely sovereign chose not to take away whatever this thorn in the flesh was. And, you know, scholars have argued about that for centuries. We don't exactly know. I think it was probably some physical ailment, but we don't know, bottom line. God's still kind. He's still good. He's still wise. In his wisdom, he didn't. And Paul is really clear that there was a reason in order that he wouldn't become conceited. So Paul had really kind of been okay with that. Um, But we need to make... This is the thing I want to say, and this isn't really what I'm talking about this morning, but I want us to be clear... Please don't use this passage of the Bible um, as thinking this is the only way God interacts in suffering and need. Is His grace is sufficient, and it, and He doesn't remove, and He doesn't bring breakthrough, and He doesn't bring healing because He does. Right? I am thankful for sustaining grace, but I'm weakly aware the Great Commission tells me to go heal the sick. So I, I need to, we have to figure out that tension. Right? It is time for us as a church, the church, I think, to not just settle for His grace to sustain us, we actually need to really believe and contend for breakthrough. So, go back to that verse. Verse 9. So three times he pleaded with the Lord to take it away, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. So, what did Paul do with this weakness? The first thing he did was acknowledge it. And he didn't only acknowledge it, I mean, he uses some crazy language. He says, you know, he delights in weakness, he boasts in his weakness. So, he'd obviously learned listen, there is something valuable in weakness that if I can learn to acknowledge and embrace it, is going to be worthwhile. Um, he didn't deny it, he didn't tolerate it, didn't despise it. So, those three things we looked at last time, we really need to be. Vigilant that we don't do those things. But what he recognized was this, and this dynamic between weakness and power. Firstly, that he says, you know, that God told him, my power is made perfect in weakness. And secondly, he says, you know, the reason I'm going to boast, I'm going to delight, is because Christ's power can rest on me. So look at those kind of two things. God's power making, being made perfect in our weakness Notice it doesn't say God's power removes our weakness, displaces it. It says it's made perfect in it. So in your weakness, God's power is perfected. And again, I, like, I'm, I don't feel I'm beginning, I'm only just beginning to try and understand what that means. I don't, by any stretch, feel like I've got it all figured out. But this is what it's saying. And so somehow we've got to learn what does it, what does that look like for me to acknowledge and embrace my weakness, but really expect God's power is going to be perfected in it. God's power comes to full strength in human weakness. And that word, um, so it says, you know, my power is made perfect. That word perfect is used throughout the Bible, and it means completed, mature, finished. It's the same Greek word that Paul uses in Colossians 1.28, where he's saying, pretty much saying, the reason I do anything I'm doing is to present every man perfect in Christ. Every man mature, finished, complete. And he says, in actually, in Ephesians 4, the gifts are given that we would come to maturity to all the fullness of Jesus, right? That's the goal. So the fact that there's something about this maturity, completeness, this finished work that God is saying, listen, some of that happens in weakness. 
So we've got to figure out, okay, if our, if our goal is maturity, right? We come home to the Father, we are found in family through the work of Jesus, and then the journey is growing up as sons and daughters, right? It's maturity, that's the goal. So we've got to figure out what do we do with weakness because I think this is saying, listen, there's something about learning to acknowledge weakness that actually is going to produce greater maturity and is going to mean actually the very power of God is, is made complete, finished, mature in and through our weakness. But it's, it's only going to happen if we acknowledge our need and come close. The second thing Paul says um, is that he will boast all the more gladly about weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. So that word rest, it's the, the Greek word that's used, I'm not even going to try and say it, is episkenu. It's the only time it's, that word is used in the New Testament. Any other time they talk about rest, it's a different word. So this is the only time it's used. And what it actually means, literally means, the Greek word means to make one's quarters in or to take up one's abode in. So what Paul is actually saying, I am going to delight in weakness because in that space... In that place, the power of Jesus can actually come and make its home in me. That's why I think Paul is like, I'm not just going to acknowledge weakness. I'm going to boast and, in, and delight in it because there's something significant that God wants to do. And it's actually about power. So I want to encourage us, ask ourselves in any given area of weakness. And again, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. I said, listen, think broadly. You know, maybe it's a... Maybe it's you know, physical, mental, emotional health. There's an area of weakness or sickness. Maybe it's a, a situation that you're in that is causing pressure. Maybe it's something painful or difficult from the past. Maybe there's a fractured relationship. Maybe you're, you've lost someone and you're grieving. Maybe it's a, maybe a part of your personality where you're like, I know that I find, I find this really difficult, really challenging. So think broadly about weakness. But what, as a caveat, what we're not talking about here is is sin, okay? I'm not saying in any of this is it's a, a get out for us to just accept sin. It's not, right? So that verse in, in Hebrews is saying, listen, Jesus was tempted in every way and yet he did not sin. So temptation is part of our human weakness, all right? That is part of our human experience. It's not sinful. But what I'm not saying is when we, uh, when we give in to temptation and sin, I'm not saying that we just kind of embrace it, right? Okay. But think of an area of vulnerability, frailty, limitation of whatever kind. And I want to ask you, are you acknowledging it? Because if you're not, please do. Denying it helps nobody, least of all you. So are we acknowledging it? Are we believing that his grace is sufficient? Even without anything changing, are we convinced that his grace is sufficient and it will sustain us? Because we should. But let's not stop there. Are you in that area of weakness that you're acknowledging? Are you believing for power to be made perfect in your weakness and to rest in you, to make, take up home in you in that area of weakness? Because I think we should. And listen, the reason it's important that we figure out this, this dynamic between weakness and power is is because actually it, the way we walk into the fullness of the kingdom is fully dependent on God. And that's what our weakness actually is honestly a helpful reminder of. Hey, Sarah, it's not all about you. It's God. Right? It's not. Now listen, dependency on God is absolutely not the same as passive. You know, I'm going to go home and sit on my sofa and Jesus knows where I am if he needs me. That, that's not it. Right? We're called to fight the good faith. We're called to pursue, forget what's behind and run after what's ahead. 
right? There is absolutely nothing in the Bible that means we should tolerate or allow our weakness to disqualify us or kind of justify a passive, you know, living. Not it, not good enough, right? But the way God's power gets worked out is actually as I acknowledge my weakness and live entirely dependent on him. And that's what Paul had learned. You know, through his journey, through his years, he's, he'd learn that actually in every time of weakness, it just points him back to, I'm fully dependent on God. I think this is what he was talking about in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 when he's talking about the treasures in jars of clay. We looked at that again last week. He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay, right? That's language of frailty, weakness, humanity. The clay jar is your humanity, Right? And it has cracks. Sometimes it's hairline cracks. Sometimes it's, you know, it's great big dints in it. But like, it's humanity. It's, that's the language. So we acknowledge that, but never, ever, ever forgetting that in your particular clay jar, there is this treasure. And the reason, Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. It's that reminder, Sarah, it's not all about you is a good reminder to have but so there's a value in weakness in that if we handle it right it throws us back to complete dependence on the Lord which is a good place to be and as but listen as much as Paul in all of his writing but particularly in these verses as much as he is acknowledging his weakness and others weakness he is absolutely also expecting a demonstration of power and this is something I want us to I want to challenge us to grow in Yes, there's clay jars, which means we're well aware whose power it is, but there is power. In fact, here he says, it's all surpassing power. It's from God, but it's crazily contained in these clay jars called humans. Like, that's the deal. So we have to figure out what we do with it. Um, has anyone ever heard of um, kintsugi pottery? Anyone come across it? It's Japanese form pottery. Of course, Dan has. He's so cultured. I hadn't but I now love it. It's now my favourite thing in the world. So here's a picture of a piece of kintsugi pottery. So it's a Japanese art form that is looking to repair broken pottery, but not just glue it back together. The way they repair it is with a lacquer that is dusted or mixed with powdered gold, silver or platinum. So really precious metal. That's what they use to repair it. And the philosophy behind it is that it treats breakage and repair as part of the history of an object rather than something to disguise or, dis- or despise so that r- the resulting pot is more beautiful than the one that broke. I think that's hands down maybe the most brilliant I- analogy of the gospel there is, right? We, we're clay jars. We have cracks. We have places. In, in some, you know, some people, you might say, actually, my clay jar, it's like it's totally shattered. Actually, but the reality is God doesn't just scoop up those broken pieces and keep that little pile of broken pieces over there and like Phil's little pile of broken pieces over here. He doesn't just rescue us, he redeems and restores us. But it looks like that. It's with gold. And so actually, we can look back on those areas of weakness, those cracks of whatever kind, and say, do you know what? In that, he's working for my good. That's Romans 8.28. In all things, he's working for your good to display his glory and power through you, through the things you think are most vulnerable, most lacking in value, most weak. He wants to do beautiful things in and through them, if you let him. God didn't just leave us. He didn't just rescue us. At the point, we were helpless, right? Dead in our sins, utterly unable to help ourselves. He rescued us, but he absolutely promises to redeem and restore. So 
Honestly, this is, this is my question. I want you to look at your life. Think of your life like that particular pot and say, actually, where are the areas of frailty? Maybe where are the cracks? Um, and what does it look like with God's power poured in? Acknowledge your weakness, but expect power. So maybe, you know, maybe there's a crack in, in your pot, and, which is maybe from a, something pain, a painful episode in your past. Maybe a relationship broke down. You know, maybe it was um, a decision you made. Maybe it was absolutely not your fault at all. Maybe it was someone else's response to you, but it's, like, it's caused pain. Like there, and there's an area of weakness. Ask yourself, God, what does it look like for you to redeem and restore that? Don't pretend it's not there. So if you, you know, look at your clay jar, if you like, recognize, you don't deny that there's a crack there, but equally don't tolerate it. Say, well, that bit's just a bit broken. It always will be. But equally, don't think you've got to chuck the whole pot out because there's a crack in it. That's despising our weakness. Ask God, what does it look like? How are you in that situation going to redeem and restore that and work it around for my good? Because you've said in your word that that's what you're all about. And so I want to know what that looks like. Maybe it's, you know, thinking about part of your personality and you'd be like, you know, I know this is an area of weakness. And ask yourself, well, what does that look like made mature? Right? We don't settle for it, but equally don't disqualify yourself. Let me give you an example. Phil and I, um, over the sort of seven or so years that um, Banning Liebshire in Jesus Culture has kind of been loving us, being a friend, mentoring us, coaching us, challenging us. Um, he's encouraged us, and we've done it some sort of some leadership training and coaching and personality profiles and all those kind of things. They've been super helpful um, because we need to grow, right? So we did one a few years ago, um, which is called a constraints profile. So it basically looks at areas of constraint. So things that if they go unaddressed are actually going to hold you back. It's just like, okay, I want to be a better leader. So I, I want to grow in those things. And when we were doing that, the, the first thing that we noticed is Phil and I are literally polar opposites on pretty much everything and not just like a little bit on these scales they're like a one to ten score over 12 different categories it's not like we're a sort of a you know four and a six we're like a one and a ten or a two we're we're miles apart um but one my one of my top three constraints um was really low dominance and a really high deference to other people which tended to look like um I would yield to other people in order to avoid conflict at all costs, right? And I could tell you, absolutely, that is a weakness in my personality. I hate conflict, didn't grow up knowing how to do it, and so just avoid it, right? But that's not good. That's not healthy. So I recognize, okay, there's, a, there's an area of weakness there. As well as doing that, we also did this um, I thing called Strength Finders, um, which brings up your five top strengths. Um, my top strength really surprised me, um, but it's actually harmony, um, which is that actually I, it really matters to me. One of my highest values is that I'm going to look to find common ground, areas of agreement so people can be together and go together, you know, tr- ideally away from conflict into agreement and harmony. So I was thinking about this. I was like, actually, so I can look at an area of weakness in my personality, which is conflict-phobe, but actually, see, that is, that is coming, that is directly connected to the fact that I really want people on board, together, connected, walking. Like it's coming out of a strength. So I'm learning, trying to learn, to look at areas in my personality that are maybe weakness and say, okay, God, what was your original design? What were you originally planning for me when you formed me in my mother's womb? And okay, maybe how has that, maybe how has that got a little bit dysfunctional? Or how have I maybe been hurt by something in the past or I believed a lie and I've let fear of man come in and so actually it's ended up maybe where it doesn't want to be. But actually, how do I get back to your original design how do you pull the gold in that's the goal right maybe in areas of you know maybe a particular situation you're in right now that it's like an external situation that is causing you to 
to struggle. It's highlighting your frailty, whether that's grief or pressures at job, whether it's health, finances, relationships. Ask yourself, God, how is your power being perfected in this area of weakness? Rather than just please take it away, like, God, what are you doing? How can I become more mature? How does the gold get poured in? And honestly, like, I, I'm, you know, I'm not just saying this as a theory. In my testimony, I've shared with you lots of times. But if you've, if you've not been with us before, I've had two seasons in my life particularly. I've had really quite prolonged um, struggles with anxiety, insomnia, sort of panic attacks at night. And, you know, signed off work, on medication, unraveling the works. Really, honestly difficult times when I felt no question the weakest I ever have felt. Um, and in the moment... You know, some of you have walked through that with me. At the moment, I've done anything just to just get me out of here. You know, really, if you've never had long-term insomnia, it's, I mean, it's a form of torture. <laughs> like, it literally, I am not functioning, I'm unraveling here. But actually, in that season, in walking through, le- absolutely learning to depend on God. And for me, one of the most important ways we get to depend on God is actually lean on other people. I learned so much about, I've got to kick against this perfectionism, this self-reliance. I must be all things to all people. Actually, I'm, I've learned so much through that area of weakness. I've learned how to rest. I've learned that failure is not fatal, that I can make mistakes and people will still love me. I can say no. I can, actually, I'm not valued and loved because I do everything right all the time, um, which I know is obvious in one sense, but I didn't live like that for the first 30-plus years of my life. So it's, I'm thankful that I'm somewhere different. Actually, honestly, I feel I have more health and peace and actually a greater confidence and capacity than I ever had when I was trying to do it all on my own. So hand on heart, I would say if you want to look at, you know, my life journey and my particular clay jar, that was a massive cratered crack. But actually, I look at it now with the gold poured in and I'm thankful for it. I, I hated it at the time. It was miserable. But I genuinely hand on my heart. I'm so supremely thankful for it now because I look at it and it's an area of gold. So how, what does that look like for you? And I, I can't answer that for you, but I can encourage you with this. Draw near in your weakness. Bring your whole clay jar with all the cracks, with all the dints. Because the, the only way that his power is perfected in weakness is if we come and bring our weakness. If we stay back, your weakness is going to stay weakness. But if you bring it to Jesus, everything changes and this is something I feel like, you know, Mark's praying, actually, for the next 10 years, it's a change of epoch, it's a change of season. I've, let me say this, as a church family, I'm hopeful, if you've been around here any length of time, if it's your first Sunday with us, let me just tell you, we have a really high value as a house on, actually, we're on a journey and there's process. And it is absolutely okay to not be okay around here. If you've never heard me say that before, I'm telling you, it's okay. We want to be real about our humanity, about our limitations, about our imperfections and our mistakes. And can we agree? Let's continue doing that. I think that's something super precious. So we're not about to change that. But as much as I think we do a good job at acknowledging weakness, I want us to raise our expectation for a demonstration of power. It's not either or, it's both and. That's maturity. And I feel like that's the next season. I want us, I feel this frustration. To, I, don't, I want us to be equally known for power as we are for process. Not one or the other, both. And I feel like it's time for a demonstration of the all-surpassing power of God through you 
in areas that you think are weak and unvalued and unpresentable. He wants to demonstrate power in them and through them. And it is part of our journey into maturity as individuals and as a house. So can we do that? Both those things. Let's acknowledge weakness, but let's draw close to this beautiful Jesus and expect a demonstration of power.